Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that are new for us every morning. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now, Lord. Open your word to us. We pray that you would bring uh, your comfort. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is uh, an election year this year, right? And uh, because of that, I've been reflecting on the idea of competition. Competition. It's somewhat ironic, I think, uh, when you think about it, that the thing that brings us all together to think about the future of our country is a competition, a knockdown, drag out fight, where I hope that my gal or guy beats the snot out of your gal or guy. And then we're all supposed to get behind that person, whoever wins, right? It is uh, the best way that we know uh, how to further the cause of humanity. <laughs> It's through this democratic process that we have. And uh, it's competition. And competition is certainly a characteristic of us humans. We like it. And some of us really love it. And I have to confess that I often fall into the I love it category. I love to compete. I remember all the way back uh, when I was in the fourth grade playing in the YMCA Basketball League, YBL. And uh, every Friday night... Before our Saturday game, we had a Saturday game, my buddy Brad and I would have a sleepover. We were teammates, and we would have a sleepover, and we would get ourselves all pumped up for the game by watching Hoosiers, which is the greatest sports movie of all time. So that is your homework. If you haven't seen Hoosiers, there is still time for you. Go home and watch it. But um, every Friday, we would have a sleepover get ready for YBL, watch Hoosiers, and it worked every time. We would get so pumped up when Jimmy Chitwood would take that last shot and sink it. You guys really have to watch it. I'm not getting any... Anyhow, Jimmy Chitwood, I mean, he's like, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. But we would go crazy, and we'd get pumped up for the next day, and we relive the drama. It was so much fun. And, uh, but that's the way we think life works, right? We think it's all about winning. We think life is all about winning. Survival of the fittest. It's all one big competition. And we may not be trying to be the next president or the next Jimmy Chitwood. We don't think that we can compete or be the best in every arena. But we certainly think uh, that we're supposed to excel in the things that we're good at or that we think we're good at. (laughs) Um, It may be more on a subconscious level, but it's there. We want to be good at something, and that is usually... uh, we usually judge our goodness against the performance of somebody else. You know, I'm a better basketball player than my daughter, Skylar, (laughs) because she can't even get the ball up there. So there you go. Um, But, uh, you know, to get to the realm of excellence, we believe uh, that we have to work hard, you know, practice, 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 so that we can improve, so that we can excel and eventually win. It's this quest for glory to be the best. And this is how we think life works. This is how we think things work with God often. It's the most common view of sanctification. You know, really when you think about it, it's it's this process of being made holy and good. That's uh, what sanctification means. And we think it's like climbing the stairway to heaven, right? To borrow from the greatest band of all time, Led Zeppelin. So we've got the greatest sports movie, Hoosiers. The greatest band, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, Go watch Hoosiers while listening to Stairway to Heaven. Um... We think life, though, is about working hard 
giving it our all constantly to improve, to climb up to God, to ascend to holiness. But we run into a problem, and it's with Jesus. We run into this problem with the Lord because he is all about grace. We run into a problem with grace. Grace is fundamentally different from that view of ascension. Grace is not about ascending. Grace is actually about descending. Grace blows up our paradigm. And that creates a real problem for us because we're so bent towards results-based living. Uh, You know, toward climbing that stairway that we're essentially allergic to the idea of grace really as a paradigm for life. Grace doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't really compute as real because receiving the benefits of a gift that we did not earn is truly difficult for us. We want to compete. We want to prove that we're the best. We want to ascend. But really, only in the things that we think we're good at, frankly. You know, we're very uh, compartmentalized about that. But I keep pointing that out to show how selective we are, you know, in our holiness. Our understanding of holiness is always going to be a fraction of what real holiness is. Because we only want to do the things we're good at. And when we're talking about God and his definition of holiness, uh, it is complete. It is truly holy, inside and out, completely, without fail, perfection. There's no gray area. And this is why in God's economy, sanctification, the, the process of being made holy, is about descending, not ascending. If it were about ascending, we would never make it. But here in chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, we read about Jesus' baptism. And we see this offensive thing play out in real life. We see Jesus continue, excuse me, to descend into our lives. Into the muck and mire of our everyday. We heard about the beginning of this descending uh, just a few weeks ago in Christmas. Everything about Jesus shows us a different picture from what we would expect from a king. And not just any king, but the king of kings, God himself. He is born into a manger, a feeding trough for livestock, to a couple of peasant teenagers. From the very beginning, Jesus shows us he is about entering into the low place, entering into the place of suffering. My brilliant wife, Kate, once said that there is a direct line between the feeding trough and the cross. That his life is consistently about taking that low position, about descending. And his baptism is the same. It's right in that same line, from the feeding trough to the cross. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And in so doing, he says that he will take our place. It's the beginning of the great exchange. They often, theologians often, often talk about the cross as the place where our sin and his righteousness are exchanged. But it actually begins all the way back at the feeding trough. But here it is highlighted, the beginning of his ministry, when he steps into the Jordan River on our behalf. When he takes our place. He does not need to be baptized He does not need to be cleansed of his sins. He doesn't need to repent at all. He is the Son of God. 
And yet he willingly submits himself to that repentance, to that need for cleansing for our benefit. He descends under the water for you and me as our representative, as the one, as we heard last week, who will make straight the highway for God to save us, the one who would die and rise again. And when he does this, the heavens open up, it says, Luke tells us, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form of a dove descends also upon Jesus, and the voice of God the Father is heard by everybody there, saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. God is giving this audible approval of Jesus in that moment for our benefit. Jesus knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He was secure in his father. God spoke so that we might hear that this is the guy who's going to stand in for you. I approve of this because this is what I'm all about. Your salvation. Our salvation. And the result of this, of Jesus willingly standing in for us, being baptized for us, is that our paradigm completely shifts. Where in our human nature, we think everything's based on competition and performance in light of Jesus because of what he does for us, because of him descending, all value and acceptance is given to you despite any performance you can muster. That blows up our paradigm. God's words to Jesus in that moment, because he is stepping in as your representative, as our representative, in our place, those words apply to us because of Jesus, that you are my beloved children with whom I am well pleased. We are valued first. Our whole paradigm explodes. No more Jimmy Chitwood. No more running for president. You know, this is, it blows it all up. The earner in us is deeply offended. This can't be right. You can't be pleased with me. You can't be pleased with me. I haven't done anything. In fact, if I've done anything, I've probably done something that deserves your displeasure. How can you be pleased with me? This can't be true. But this is the truth. Because of Jesus Christ, God is not mad at you. He is not displeased with you. He is not sitting far away in the sky on a cloud, looking down on you, waiting for you to ascend to him. He is pleased with you, well pleased. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sends his only son to live for you, to die for you. That's the gospel. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all in this picture today. The triune God is displaying himself as fully united in their love, his love for you. The son going into the water, the dove descending upon him, and the voice of the father speaking. Jesus says, I will go for them. I will be counted as one of them. I'll become sin for them. That's what Paul says he did. He became sin. And this just blows up the constant demand for performance that we put on ourselves and that we put on each other. Destroys that results-based living. Because the results-based life, really, the results-based life just keeps you in a constant state of rejection, you know. That's your default state. Until you can prove yourself 
enough to get out of that state in whatever category you're working with. You know, maybe it's in your job. I'm in a constant state of displeasure and rejection until I work my way up and please my boss. So I've done that. And then maybe it's in your marriage. You know, like, oh, I'm constantly rejected until I work up and do enough to, to please my spouse or whoever it is. Then I get myself out of it until the next thing happens, right? Like, this is what you do. You just, we constantly put ourselves in a state of rejection, thinking we have to earn the acceptance. This, this quiet voice in your brain that says, that's not good enough. Because that's always what's at the end of this results-based life. If we're really talking about holiness, if we're really talking about fully good, inside and out, all the time, then what's always waiting for you is just another, you know what, that's just not good enough. You worked really hard, that's awesome. But uh, not good enough. Maybe you had somebody in your life that received you that way. Maybe you're used to that kind of criticism. Maybe you think that that's all you deserve. But this is the incredible thing, that Jesus Christ has come to share another message with you. He has come to say that I accept you. I love you because of what I'm going to do for you. And this is what is meant when Luke says that Jesus has the winnowing fork in his hand and he's clearing his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn and throwing the chaff into the unquenchable fire. This is what this means. That he is removing everything in your life that is killing you. I mean, that's his goal. His goal is to bring new life, to recreate what was lost. So he is coming to kill, to destroy, to put into the unquenchable fire everything that is killing us. And that very notion, at the heart of all of that, is the notion that we should be earning it. At the heart of all of that is that it is up to us to ascend to God. That was the lie in the first place in the garden. That Satan was saying, you don't need what God's telling you. God's lying to you. You can be just like God. That was all him selling us this lie that you can ascend to where he is without him. And we bought into it. That we can be self-sufficient winners. Right? But with Jesus... The game is over before we even begin. Because he has entered into our world, because he's descended to be with us and live for us, and because he's fulfilled any requirement that could ever be placed upon us, our starting point is the end of Hoosiers. All right? We already have the trophy. We've already won. Our starting point is the victory because God is already pleased with us. He loves us just as we are. There's nothing that we can say or do or neglect to say or do that can change his love for us because it is not based on our doing. It is based on the Lord, on Jesus Christ. It's our new state. He has made us valuable by coming for us. This is an incredible thing, and it is something that we will spend the rest of our lives working with, okay? Because we spend all of our lives going back and forth between our striving to justify ourselves and then hearing God's grace in the midst of that. We will continually try to run back to that results-based life because that's the the way the world operates. 
That's the way we all think it's supposed to go because we still are bought into that lie without the Lord in our lives. We're bought into that lie that we have got to ascend. That's the way most religion is built. But Christianity is so much different because it is about our God descending to us. So it's not the stairway to heaven model, right? Sadly, still a great song, but um, it's not a stairway to heaven. It's not the world's model of striving, practicing, and performing. Our getting better, this is the thing that just doesn't make much sense to us. As Tim Keller would say, this is the upside-down nature of the gospel. Our getting better only happens by descending. Sanctification is really about knowing our need for Jesus. It's about knowing our need, knowing that we are not holy and that we cannot make ourselves holy, knowing that he is the only way for us. That's the only way we actually become free of our sin, is leaning on him completely, depending on him in every area of our lives. That's what sanctification actually means. It means depending on Jesus completely in every way, really buying what he's selling. And this is something that I say is unnatural for us. We need to hear the message again that he is in the feeding trough of our lives. That he has descended into the dark places, the painful place, the shameful place in our lives. He's with us there and he brings uh, his healing there. So practically, what does this look like? Instead of it looking like us trying harder and harder to distance ourselves from sin, essentially trying to erase our need for him, because of Jesus and his descending to us, we can actually, maybe for the first time, look at our sin for what it actually is. If you're in that constant state of rejection and you're always trying to prove yourself, having to prove yourself, having to get better, then you're going to do whatever you can to package yourself in a way that looks as good as you can, right? You want to be seen as good as you can, so you've got to make sure that, you know, you, you tuck in the loose parts, that you know, you tuck them in your shirt there or whatever. You want to make sure you look a little trimmer, put on the girdle. You want to put makeup on your face to cover up the blemishes, whatever it is. You've got to package yourself in a way that covers up the bad parts that you think are bad. Because you have no freedom to actually be as, as you really are. But because of Jesus, because of this message of him saying, I value you, I know it all already, I went into the Jordan River for you, that actually sets you free to take the mask off for the first time. It actually sets you free to take off the girdle, right? <laughs> to, to, you know really be where you, are, where you are. Because Jesus is telling you that I already know it, I've already been there, I've already dealt with it. This is the winnowing fork part. He's leading us, this is the descending that we do. He takes us to the dark places. The places that we all want to run away from. The places that hurt too bad, that are too big for us and we don't know how to deal with on our own. We all have them. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to deal with it on your own. I am there, and I want you to descend into that place with me. It's going to hurt because you've spent so much time trying to cope with it, trying to convince yourself that it's not hurting you that much, 
but it's always in the back of your mind. It's always just right under the surface. He's saying, we're going to go there. I want you to descend with me to that place because I am healing it. I want you to be healed. I want you to be set free from that place of fear, that place of shame, the thing that makes you cover up and protect yourself from other people. You don't have to protect yourself with me. That's what Jesus is saying. I already know it. You don't have to protect yourself. I want to go there with you. I love you there. That's an incredible thing. You may have never heard that. In that place where you've been hurt in your life, Jesus is saying, I love you here. I love you here. I love you here. I want to take away this pain, this chaff, and I want to throw it into the fire forever. I want you to be healed. That's what sanctification looks like. That's what growing in our faith looks like, is Jesus taking us to those places that we're too scared to go on our own. And he's saying, I have come for that very reason. I want you to depend on me. I want you to lean on me with everything you've got. I want you to count on me with everything. If everybody else says you've got nothing, Sean, you know, like you are just failing all the time. I want you to say back to them, I know I'm depending on Jesus. I need him to stand for me. I'm not going to be able to cut it if it's on my shoulders. And Jesus is saying, yes, I want you to lean on me that way. Trust me. Trust my righteousness. I've come to set you free. I've come to make you holy, inside and out. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of our Lord's baptism for us. That he's doing this work of cutting away the things that are killing us and building us up in the places where, we, where we're alive in him. And I'm never going to stop telling you guys this. Never going to stop. I pray you never stop telling me. I need to hear this all the time, no matter where we may be. All right? I know we're not sure. But no matter where we may be, it won't change this message. This is why we're here in the first place. You know? It doesn't matter where we are. This is what matters. It's this message. We can never hear it enough. This is the message of our Christian life. It is the genesis of new life for us right now. We need to hear it every day. And the good news is that we can, and we do, because we have each other, because we have his word. We can remember that God said about us, you are my children, with you I am well pleased. That's the testimony of our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace for us. We thank you that you come into our lives where we think we have to earn it and we're competing all the time trying to stave off rejection. You come in and just blow it up by saying, I have come for you. I've descended to you. I have come to save you. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you are the God who brings resurrection out of those dark places. Lord, we pray that you would keep that firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week, especially in this time of uncertainty. We pray that we would lean on you with everything we got because you invite us to. You give us yourself completely and fully to lean on. Lord, we praise you and we give you thanks. We pray that you would continue to use us as messengers of this good news for this world that is killing itself, trying to compete, trying to ascend somewhere. (laughs) 
We pray that you would use us to be messengers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.